After the failure of 2012 to mark an obvious and dramatic turning point in history, and faced with heightened ridicule and taunting from the materialists and skeptoids, many conspiracy theorists became entirely antagonistic to anything smacking of mysticism and the New Age. They had been duped. They had danced blindly behind the Pied Pipers and had barely, nearly fallen off the cliff. They had been made fools of, victims of yet another tentacle of cultural Marxism. Never again. It was time to become hard. Folk off. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles and this is 42 Minutes, a podcast about meaning from SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's December 6, 2020, and today I brought together a panel of experts for a special edition of the Seasonal Book Club to discuss the latest title published by SyncBook Press. Forthwith, we will explore Death Sweat of the Cluster by Znor, which would make an excellent Christmas present, and there is still time. Find the links at thesyncbook.com or in the show notes at 42minutes.com. It is worth your while. And what that while is, is an inebriated exploration of reality that is a cohesive collection of essays spanning from 2012 to 2020 from Znor's blog, Group Name for Grape Juice. It covers all the big human topics such as cosmology, mysticism, economics, poetry, literature, Joyce, McKenna, Dick, and McLuhan. And today, for 42 minutes, we'll discuss those human topics for this death sweat cluster flap with the panel of experts. I'm joined in conversation with William Klaus, author of the Ayahuasca blog, creator of the Kubrick Transformer, and co-creator of the Always Record podcast. Mark Golding, artist and sacred geometer, who both illustrated and wrote for Syncbook Volume 2 to whose work we will link Zach Bauer, musician, podcaster, and synchromistic, Wally Sharold, musician and creator of the Fine Just Fine SyncBook Radio podcast. And we've got Nicholas Ulbricht, contributor to Synchronize and many SyncBook Radio podcasts. And Alan Abadessa, editor and publisher of Death Sweat of the Cluster, as well as managing editor of SyncBook Press. Naturally, we'll link as much as possible in the show notes to all of the panelists as well as use the search feature at thesyncbook.com to find the numerous times in which they've all appeared on SyncBook Radio. Welcome. How is everyone doing today? 2020. Excellent. All right. Uh, Let's figure out how to get into this. Um, uh, We'll start with you, Mark. What was it like to experience Zenora's work in book form? A bit of a clusterfuck, really. <laughs> it sort of, it sort of um, ping-ponged me around. I was, t- I was um, talking with my partner, Helena, sort of five, ten minutes ago, and she said, uh, what's the book about? So I had to try and describe the sort of the chapters we've, uh, we've prepped for this evening in about five minutes. And um, it was like putting uh, an elephant through a sieve. I just couldn't get, manage to get all the little bits and pieces together to make it coherent. I think it's a, a staggering um, lens 
that's gonna that, that's somehow uh, allowing a cross fertilization of ideas to become an attractor in the future. I, th I think that the potential of his wisdom here is to uh, take off our collective blinkers to be able to navigate this uh, change of eon time, if such a thing exists. Hey, Zach, what would you say your experience with this book was upon first encountering it? I've been uh, blown away by the 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 depth that is uh, crammed in there. And, and initially, I think the first 15 or so pages were, uh, you know, the intro itself was really uh, kind of uh, a challenging part to, to, to get going. But it, it encompasses so much, and it's 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 odd for me because as I'm reading, you know, in in the book, uh, you know, there's uh, there's a part where Will Morgan, who's a neighbor, I saw he was over here. Uh, you know, we were both wearing our masks and still able to hang just a little bit. But it's so bizarre because I'm seeing a you know quote referenced with Will that I'm reading about and all these different synchronistic aspects. Uh, he's managed to weave together some, some really important uh, musicians and uh, writers and uh, the, the way it coalesces to this thing just feels so timely, um, especially after this last election cycle and, and re <clears throat> revisiting kind of where, where things were four years ago and just kind of, the book's kind of like uh, putting your head into like an inflated uh, ball that when you put your head in, it's just like this dark void of craziness. And then you can you can kind of pop your head back out and uh, let it bounce around some more before you decide to look in there again. Um, it's 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 a vast uh, compilation of uh really interesting ideas and, and explorations on uh, so many different texts and the way they kind of meld together that it's just, it's, uh, it's really impressive. And I, I'd read uh, later years of uh, group name for grape juice on the blog, but I'd never, never read these earlier pieces. So for, for me uh, to read them for the first time in book form has been wonderful. Well, so that brings me to, Bill, I wonder, like, in some ways, you kind of lived the book. What was it like to experience it again in a different form? It's very uh, powerful. Um, there were sections that almost the recall from having uh, followed along with the serial release of most of this material. Um, that's just staggering. Um, I wrote down uh, a statement that it, it reminds me a lot of Cosmic Trigger, uh, whereas Cosmic Trigger, I think, is a roadmap to the happening of the 60s, where all these new media forms uh, crisscross together. Um, that this book is sort of a roadmap for uh, the 2000s. Um, it's like an implosion of uh, cognitive fireworks. Uh, and it approaches that intoxication that I kind of felt with that internet-driven illumination that we were all kind of experiencing together 
where every day there were like four or five or six or seven different places where you would go read a new post, share comments. And so you're right, uh, having lived through uh, the genesis of this material and then being able to go back to it in a stable form that that reduces it almost into a single point. Um, I mean, the book is heavy alone physically, but mentally it's it's twice as dense. So it's um, it's it's an accomplishment that uh, I think will just keep rewarding uh, myself as I go back to it over the years. It's um, super proud of the Sync Book community for making this happen. Just uh, bravo. Yeah, I know that's how I felt, that I was really glad that this was in print form and that there was a like a hard, stable record of it, especially the, you know, the chapters that we want to discuss today shortly. But first, let's, uh, let's ask uh, Nicholas um, how he came to this material and, and what his, his thoughts were on um, first viewing this in book form. There's a couple of things. Firstly, uh, Alan kind of behind the scenes was teasing me that there was something coming, there's something coming. Uh, uh, and we were really having a lot of conversations about hindsight 2020, which was an amazing film series. And then the book comes out and I had to kind of get over my, uh, resistance to Amazon and Jeff Bezos to order it and get a copy of it. Um, but I, I, I have loved it so far and. I think a, a lot like w Bill in the sense that I lived through this as well. So a lot of it was going back to really important moments of my life uh, that centered around always record and centered around the kind of relationships between people. When you look back on them, they seem more whole but in the time you didn't know where they were going to go and so to be able to kind of go back to this book has allowed that to crystallize and solidify into a history a history of of this community and a history of a relationship with this material but even more than that i've found that this book is really about modernism and the modernist movement that we can talk more about this later. One of the things is interesting is that psychoanalysis really kind of monopolized the terms unconscious and, and conscious mind. And I think here with the kind of discussions of James Joyce and PKD um, and you know, even Alistair Crowley to some extent, it highlights how much more important it is to the modernist movement as a whole. The concept of conscious and unconscious beyond psychoanalysis. And I think that's really interesting. So that took me back to undergrad and back to being a 19-year-old. So it's it's interesting, like as a as a time capsule for all different things in that regard. And and you, Wally, what what have your first impressions of this book been? And you know, how did you take it in initially? 
Well, um, I initially read the first uh, draft of the of the first yeah. half of the entire book about a year and a half ago uh, to proofread it for Zenor. And it was something that I kind of procrastinated for a long time. And then finally, out of guilt, I just kind of banged it out in one day. So in about a 10 hour session in one sitting, I read about 100 and maybe almost 200 pages of it, um, which for me as like a reading disabled person was an extraordinary feat. Um, and at the time, I mean, I was I was reading it more with an editorial eye, but it really just it blew me away and washed over me and 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 rereading these 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 chapters now, especially after when I read the uh, when I proofread it, read it a year and a half or so ago, it inspired me to go on a PKD binge. And I ended up reading 11 novels of of Dick's um within about three or four months uh after that and so it's been great as a refresher but really just in general i mean i'm i'm i during the the height of the blogging era i was not in in touch with blogs i was very busy as a performing musician and and not really paying much attention to that um so reading this is just kind of i i have just kind of a um a different perspective, I guess, and it feels very timeless. I don't really, I don't really associate it with any time period necessarily. It seems to have this very broad applicability um, even now, and and even when I read it a year and a half ago. And I'm just, I just think it's an extraordinary accomplishment. Um, and having had so many conversations with Snor one on one, and knowing the depth of his knowledge and how well read he is. I'm amazed at how he can kind of create this incredible amalgam of different subjects from extraordinarily dense sources, at least in my opinion, to also very kind of more, uh, not pedestrian, but just more popular culture references and everywhere in between and just turn it into this cocktail of extremely simultaneously deep and dense but also very accessible and intriguing and fun uh material that explores everything that i am interested in personally um it's remarkable i mean so often i'll stop he'll make a reference to something and i want to go i'm i'm like oh this is a book that i should read but as a someone who has a hard time reading to begin with I'm always in, a little intimidated and I feel like, but I've got Znor right here in front of me and I can read this so easily. And he is, he's boiling a lot of this stuff down into something that is very digestible, but is also extremely rich. And um, I just think I want to echo the previous sentiments that I think this is an extraordinary, extraordinarily uh, proud moment for the sync book that this is out. And I feel like, it's going to be a slow burn, but it's going to. But eventually, this book, I believe, will be regarded as as important as we regard it now by a much larger audience. It's just going to take some time. But well, yeah, to to that uh, statement, I, I noticed the other night when I was looking it up, I was really tickled to see that it was like ranked number one eighty ninth in comparative literature on mm -hmm. on Amazon, and who knows what you know what that 
really means. But still, um, you look at Amazon for a lot of the think books and you end up like, you know, it's number four millionth or whatever because you're looking at a at the whole the whole thing. But um, I just it really tickled me that it would be, you know, within striking distance of 100. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, you know, yeah. Um, uh, finally, Alan, let's let's talk to you. And after hearing all that appreciation, and you being the one likely that it's read this the most times, you know, what are your thoughts now, after spending quite a bit of your your time with this material? Uh, I'm just uh, I'm so glad to hear everybody enjoying it and seeing you know what I saw in it. And I, I don't mean to take that like a I, I have some exclusive vision of, of Zenora's um, value or contribution. I just mean that, um, yeah, this definitely was something that it, at multiple points became a labor of love, became a something that I couldn't handle because it was too much work and at some point had to push through and at some point really had to remind myself why I was doing it and reconnect with the material. And I've had over the years this sort of love, I don't want to say love-hate relationship, but just sort of like this push and pull with this project, um, really my, my own energetic and what I could bring to it and what I felt it deserved. I guess that's a better way of saying better than like a love-hate. It's like I knew it, it deserved my full attention and my full energy and that it really needed to be done and to get out here. And, um, you know, and life life happens and doubts happen, but uh, I just kind of kept coming back to this idea that how important this book was and how just great I, I thought this material was even back in the day. Um, uh, you know, this is all sort of flashback for me thinking about what was the last sync book title we did it was probably around 2014, 15. Um, you know, when was uh, Yoga Gospel of Thomas? I don't know. Um, somewhere around there. After after that Gospel of Thomas book, I was like, I just never want to do this again. I never want to sit down and edit a book and do all the pre-press and do all this labor for a book. It felt like I was just done with that part of my life. And I said, but the only exception I would make was if Zanor were to put a book together, I would put in the time for that. And Zanor was like, okay, I'll take you up on that offer. And uh, it took a number of years to actually, for me to get back to it and give it the attention that it really deserved. And I think that's what I want to focus on is saying it deserved so much love. It deserved all this work. And uh, I'm really happy that I, and in a lot of ways, I'm happy that 2020, this weird ass year that has done so much damage in other ways, it provided me the time and the opportunity to actually do the lion's share of the work that I've been slowly chipping away at over the years was like, well, now you have the time and you can really dedicate yourself to this. And I, uh, I'm just so happy to see that it's in people's hands and people are to, to hear people connecting with these lines and, and these thoughts and, the weird part of it is that even for me, as you said, I'm probably the guy who's read this material the most. 
every time I revisit it, something new strikes out at me. I mean, so reading these originally in blog form, then reading these in, gosh, whatever it was, 2016, I think we were starting this book project. Um, then I put it down for, you know, two years, then picked it back up. And it's like every time I pick it back up, every time I read this material, there's something new. And even though this book has now been out for a few months, I knew we were going to have this call today. So just this weekend, I was like, oh, you know, we kind of just read a few chapters and kind of refresh my memory and get back into that headspace. And I've spent the last few nights reading this book again. And I'm just like, how is it that I keep finding something new, something striking, something that uh, a synchronicity of what I'm thinking about at the moment, a uh, something that resonates with the material that I so enjoy, something that affects me on a personal level, something that this book just keeps cascading with meaning and uh, twists and turns for me. And I, I'm so very proud of Zenor for, for writing this amazing book. And I, I guess the last thing I want to say before I pass the mic back is to say the uh, other person who deserves uh, credit here is Kaylee Pickenpah, who did the, the cover artwork and these interior illustrations. Um, so really huge credit to her, uh, to Jason Barrera for his contribution in the, uh, a few years ago. He really helped with the overall uh, cleanup of the text and and he there was a bunch of stuff he had done uh so a group of really amazing people to get to work with and i'm really really happy to share in appreciating their work and their their labor in this well so now i've been telling people and maybe i'm mistaken but hopefully you can clear this up is he really didn't necessarily cherry pick the material to create a book, right? It just almost naturally cohered. So it's laid out, am I right that it's laid out linearly in time, but thematically it makes sense? Like he didn't go one post from the you know distant past to the future and, and try and create something into a book. It just kind of became a book. Yeah, so he had selected these 27 essays to begin with. So the the essays themselves have never changed from his original selection. But I do think when he originally, I mean, again, from, from having conversations with him, I think he was trying to get a cross section and I, I, can't, I can't speak to what the original intent, how shall I say, um, how much he could envision that originally. But I do know that he, I mean, to this day, he's like, oh, I'm not sure if these, you know, does this have to be read in any particular order? Are these just a collection of essays? Was So I think for him, it was really just like picking out things that he thought were representative of his work or th ideas that he wanted to explore. Um, there are a few chapters that he had wanted to cut out of, over the few years of working on this project. He was like, oh, maybe these chapters aren't relevant anymore. And he wanted to cut them out and having to essentially argue with him to keep some of this material because i i kind of saw a way in which this became something more cohesive uh so you know these chapter breakdowns where it's like um oh the first three chapters are grouped together then the next five chapters are grouped together and that sort of uh, grouping of themes so yes you're right it's absolutely chronological but then i went through and sort of made these little 
I don't know, subsections that I thought would help make the book more digestible to make let readers understand what was thematically tied together and whatnot. And even in doing that, that was an attempt to try and steer it into a direction of making this cohesive whole. But even that, I we still weren't sure how it was going to work. And when I got the book Proof over the summer and sat down and read it as a book, you know, holding in my hand, reading it as a book for the first time, I was just blown away by how much it felt like a thought-out, linear, cohesive, as if that was planned all along, that it feels like a book. It, there, there are themes that start and keep, kind of keep re returning and are woven throughout, and even the moments where it feels like, oh, okay, we're on to a new subject, suddenly it comes back together, and i just really amazed at how cohesive it ends up feeling, and I think both Zenora and I were surprised and pleasantly surprised, even though we did try and steer in that direction to some extent, uh, it just does something that be beyond our, our intention. So you mentioned Kaylee's contribution, which is immense, and that's part of why this book is so beautiful. Um, definitely, the whole object is really just amazing. But now maybe somebody in the group potentially would like to maybe rake Alan over the coals. So like textually, this is really interesting. But at the same time, uh, Alan, you end up inserting yourself into the work a little bit too with your with your textural playfulness. Would anyone want to speak to the actual text in the book and and describe what's going on here and and why that might make an author both, you know, interested or angry at the same time when i proofread the book um i actually uh, expressed doubt about the use of the um the large the, the the kind of the standout uh phrases and sentences and larger text especially when they were separated from the paragraphs because it's it, it recalled the the kind of magazine layout technique where I forget what they, I forget what they're called. There's a term for them, something like a call out where, where it's, you know, in a larger font there, they, they restate a significant blurb from the article itself, but it's, it's just a restatement of text that's already in the body, but this was slightly different. And I was like, Oh, that confused me at first. I don't know if this is really appropriate because it really struck me as, the formatting I'm used to seeing in, in magazines and stuff. But over time, especially in the context of all the, the wide variety of formatting choices that Alan used, um, it creates this kind of visual and, and literary kind of um, meta language, for lack of a better term, that, that enhances the reading experience in a lot of ways. Um, I really enjoy that. There's the playfulness almost with with the formatting. Uh, it it I, I spoke to this earlier. Like sometimes reading, especially even reading books that that Zenora is referencing here, uh, are are a struggle for me just because they're kind of dry and and very dense. And this is taking the same uh, same concepts and themes from a lot of those books and making it just 
equally intriguing and intellectually stimulating, but also fun and and just and 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 whimsical and playful. And I really appreciate that aspect of it. Anyone else want to volunteer? Any thoughts on the the object itself or? The yeah, yeah. I think uh, looking at some of the the emphasized uh, sections and the way they kind of punctuate such a, a I guess so much of it is about Finnegan's Wake and some of these other uh, stories that uh, the way they interleave is so wide and and all encompassing. I, I think it speaks to the fact that it feels timeless because within that and I wrote down this uh this phrase uh I was briefly listening to uh Terrence McKenna's talk about Finnegan's Wake just to kind of get my my wheels turning before the call but he 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 had this uh phrase he, he said uh, that it's an eschatological phenomenon of this particular production of Finnegan's Wake that is really such a good example of the philosopher's stone so it's this union of spirit and matter and as as such it's such a large collage in Finnegan's Wake and a sampling of all these different things it's almost like it's uh looking at the the tv it's almost just like white noise on a sense but you take that and and with Znor's expounding on all these different subjects it's it's like uh, it, it it becomes this other collage of sorts, uh, and then it's almost like the the emphasis it, it makes it uh, you know a pop up book that's a collage that's part of this other mixed media Dada esque thing because it's playing with all these different languages and concepts and um, it, it's uh, it's. I, I, it's so funny. I, I woke up with that Willie Nelson song just stuck in my head, that phases and stages. And, uh, you know, th- thinking about uh, where, where I was four years ago, having uh, the, the last interview I did on my podcast that I stopped doing and I never released just because it was too, uh, I felt like such a fool. But uh, I interviewed uh, Tessa Dick and we were both going on and on and on about how we are so sure, uh, you know, that there's no way Trump was going to win. <laughs> and, uh, I think the election was like the next day and, uh, I never released the episode and I stopped doing the show and, uh, it, it it's, uh, but out of that, uh, disillusion and out, out of that, uh, I guess for me, the art has become in the last four years is that, uh, uh, you know, kind of, it's almost like a solvent coagula thing kind of going on where there was this disillusion of all this stuff. And then, you know, putting that back together, you know, and, and, and the reunification of this, uh, you know, soup of broken down, shit that uh we even more so find ourselves now in as this other uh you know continuation of this cycle of you know in the next four years and 2020 and uh this this huge uh <clears throat> crisis that we're faced with worldwide and this new new little little thing where we found ourselves at the nexus of this uh you know pandemic 
And uh, so that, that, you know, there's an image of Pan in the book. Um, <laughs> uh, that, that, that's, that, you know, it's, uh, there's this trickster element in all of this, in, in all the book and diving into some of this subject matter. So I think uh, it makes it makes me laugh and step back and just try and find humor in it too because it's uh, it's easy to get really spun out and spiral out on some of these these topics and ideas and so I think thinking of the the book as a sort of medicine or basically like maybe it's the honey for the medicine and so like Finnegan's Wake it's such like a bitter and difficult thing and as someone who has a hard time reading often um, you know as a musician. Uh, my, my primacy is definitely with my, my ear. And so sometimes on the page, I get lost in these things, but after the fact, I find so much value in it. And so, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe this book is like the, the honey to some of these larger works of, of literature that kind of make the medicine go down a little bit easier. Yeah. Speaking of like, um, more details, part of what we were setting out to do a little bit with the 42 minutes of course there's a million of us and so <laughs> it'll be just really superficial we wanted to talk about like one specific section and so we'll definitely have to like uh, 2012 is such an important piece of this work and 2016 being a response to 2012 is really an interesting topic but we wanted to talk about the the ichthyology section and so i will ask Bill, you know, what is the 108-year cycle? Who are the players involved? And uh, and why is this important? God, that's so freaky that you just said that because uh, uh, being from Chicago, uh, I was in uh, the epi- ground zero for when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series in 2016. Uh, and what is so uh, powerfully resonant about that team when they won is that they had won their first World Series in 108 years. Uh, Other things that surround that number with that event is uh, the 108 stitches uh, on a baseball and the 108 innings of winning baseball that are in four games that you need to win the series. So these 108s all um, cluster around this momentous occasion. And then a few days later, Trump wins uh, the presidency. And so almost like that cycle of 100 in 108 years of being transparent and then 108 years of going underground, I think we kind of all felt that some sort of soft dark age was upon us uh, when a man like Trump was able to represent the will of America uh, better than um, Hillary Clinton. And not to say anything about Hillary Clinton, but it's just the choice, uh, well, as Alan pointed out with the different logos, you know, the choice of a new generation or an old generation, whatever you make of it. Um, but I think what Znor, and especially with the text, to piggyback a little bit on what was just said in the last segment, is that the way that the, the print pops out in different form is, is a subtle clue as to how uh, even something as uh, rock solid and um, and it, sort of that like that philosopher's stone, that sort of density of print, that even in the most dense of objects, uh, little clues will emerge. You know, like the rose that uh, blossoms out of the sidewalk. You know, in uh, in the famous song. 
so just as Zanor details that these great works of literature are designed to be portals to either trigger an experience or to lay down the framework for an experience. Um, the 108 is just one of those numbers that if you put into your files and register into your lenses, um, when you go out and encounter quote unquote reality, um, you will see that subtle emergence, those, those sections that pop out and uh, distinguish themselves from the ocean of flatness and it becomes a sort of psychic astrology that I think we all deal with as sinkheads. Hey, Mark, what, what did you make of the ichthyology chapter? And was that material new to you? Or were you, um, is, is this something that you've played with before? No, it was, it was all new to me. And uh, I've never read um, uh, Finnegan's Wake, nor anything by Philip K. Dick. So I'm kind of I feel like a rather an intruder here, um, but at the same time I I I love Snore's ways, and I kind of went through. So I read the, I read up to uh, this section the, uh, the the fish bit, and there are a few things that I was kind of trying to sort of cross fertilize myself, and I was trying to look for the uh, windows uh, where I could find sort of parallels that resonated with me. But in saying that, there's something about this whole text. I would say that this is uh, destined to become a classic. There's something so even even uh, Znor's you know strange name. It's it is kind of laying up the uh, circumstances for a sort of strange sort of um, esoteric book to somehow uh, percolate into the greater consciousness. Uh, you know, as great works of literature can. So, bearing that in mind, I went through. I read read through his. Um, uh, you know, I've met Zanor and I've spent lovely time with him exploring the world of William Blake. So I've sort of met met his psyche in a sense, physically. And um, but the, the 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 fish parts. I was trying to think of lots of um, reference to fishes, and there was a couple. Uh, it resonated with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I thought, "Is you know goodbye, thanks for all the fish." There were these kind of, um, and again, Douglas Adams is one of these hyper players in the world of um, sort of quasi psychedelic um, uh, expressionistic writing, like as I understand um, uh, Philip K. Dick and um, uh, 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 Joyce's as well. Um, so I actually feel that my take on it, what what I think I'm seeing, what I think I've experienced, is is another. Perhaps it's one of the hundred and eight beads on the mala, uh, Bill. Perhaps it's 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 a it's it's as an important piece of work on a thread of of sort of pearls of literature that belongs actually on the same thread as um, uh, uh, Joyce and Dick, albeit that I haven't read them. But that's the uh, relevance I feel about the book itself. I can't really, you know, I've got my own little quirky taste, but they're a little bit silly and poppy. So I'd rather, I think I'd rather, um, yeah, yeah, that's what I think. I think it's a, it's a masterpiece of quiet, subtle, but sort of nuclear powered uh, writing. Hey, hey, Nick, as kind of a closing thought on the 
uh, as we wind them 42 minutes down, what, what was your, what was your take on the ichthyology chapters and, and had you experienced that material before? I know that I hadn't, and it was really shocking to me that, um, it seemed like he was stacking together things that, that I wasn't aware of. Well, to some extent, I hadn't experienced the, the text. I hadn't read the blog. I, you know, blogs weren't something I was necessarily interested in. But a lot of this is kind of like the scribe. There, there's an element of scribing the Always Record podcast that there's a reflection and a refraction of those conversations. And I'm just to bring a few points together on page 81 within this section, and this is from the, the tail chapter, which uh, is chapter um, seven. And, and so we were talking earlier about the, the object and the actual text itself and the way that um, Alan, in conjunction with Snore and the other people who have worked on this book, made creative decisions, such as the iconography, the Buddha, but in particular, these little sections that stand out that are the, the quotes or, um, you know, the, the magazine-style layout that keeps us from imagining this as an academic book because I so desperately want to imagine this as an academic book. Um, and it has all the trappings of an academic book. So we need those constant reminders that this is something different. And so at the bottom of page 81, Znor's reflecting on Mark LeClaire's um, take on Sophia Stewart's The Third Eye. And uh, quoting Leclerc, Znor writes, surely these two choices, plagiarism or Stuart's complicity, these final choices in the conundrum of Sophia Stewart, they mean exactly the same thing. We are fucked, good and fucked. We live in a reality that is clearly and absolutely bound by a principle of suffering, torment and servitude that serves the orgiastic passions of Nazi golfers from the future. Just say they don't exist, ignore them or admire them, choose not to see. And who are the Nazi golfers of the future? We're in that future. And element to this section that runs throughout the book, but it's a prophetic element of a moment that we all lived through that now we can kind of get a little bit, you know, glassy-eyed, nostalgic for, yeah, at the same time, you know, we have to be aware of how the zebra and the black eye in prison interrelate into that nostalgia as well. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's... Well, can that's I just jump reflection. in here real, real quick with... Uh, I stayed silent when Zach spoke before, but all right. So um, there was a, a piece of uh, artwork that I had done for the book that didn't get used. It was using uh, Kaylee's drawing of Pan getting a hand job 
the pan job, yeah. The pan job, yeah, exactly. Um, I was going to use that as the uh, potentially as the the front, not like front cover, like the front inside cover, like where you have the text, right? And um, so I don't know if you like you open the book up and right now it says death sweat of the cluster on this like sunburst image. Instead, it was potentially going to be this the pan job picture. And I sort of arranged the text on that. It was just something I had wanted to try out and it never got used for the book. And I remembered it as we were all talking and I was like, oh, shoot, that would make a good image for always record if we're going to turn this into something to put online i already have some artwork that could be used so literally i find this image and i'm click send to send it to doug and just at that moment as i'm saying as i'm literally looking at this image and clicking send uh zach says oh you know there's this great image of pan in the book (laughs) and i'm like wow that's such a crazy synchronicity well, Nick, while you were just talking, you said if you look on page 81 and literally as I was preparing for this talk today, I grabbed a post-it note and threw it onto page, of course, page 81 of like, oh, here's something that I think I'm going to want to return to during the book. And there's only one page in this book that I've like literally thrown a post-it note into for our talk today was page 81. So when you said, hey, if you guys all notice this page, I don't know. So just want to say this book generates synchronicities. It's, it's one. Oh, I mean, I, trust me, I've got plenty of other notes, but I just meant for today's conversation, that was like a something I knew I wanted to address. And I, I don't know. So again, just this book seems to generate that type of experience. But uh, well, that was 42 minutes. Thank you for sharing it with us, everyone. You've been listening to a special production of the 42 Minutes Seasonal Book Club, which is also a production of SyncBook Radio and TheSyncBook.com. For more information about Death Sweat of the Cluster, visit TheSyncBook.com. It's the first thing you'll see. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast, check out others. It's currently all the SyncBook Radio archives are free, including all the always records that we've been discussing. Feel free to use the search feature to explore the connections. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com. Thanks so much, and it all boils down to a tale of ear and eye, a tale of time and space, of Saturn and Jupiter. <laughs>